everybody. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you're here. You know, one of the things that's crazy about Christmas, if you just stop and think about it for just a minute, is that while we're in a culture that is anti-Christian, we have a whole season dedicated to the birth of Jesus. Hello, somebody. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know pastors, some friends of mine, they're like, ah, we got to talk about Jesus at birth again. I'm like, thank God. Like it's already built in, right? I don't even have to make a decision about what we're going to speak on over the series. You know, we are in this series called Mosaic. And if you're new to the conversation, we just had this idea that sometimes we can get locked in this tunnel vision of who Jesus is. You know, we may grow up hearing about Jesus and hear some specific stories or specific names, or we may have heard from him from a friend or a parent. And, and sometimes it may be just what we've heard, you know, in the media or even in a classroom at school. And so we get this tunnel vision, but we know that Jesus is so much more than that. So the idea of a mosaic is you take these little pictures to make up a larger picture. So if you can take a step back and look at the glory and the majesty of who Jesus is, it can capture our hearts again. And so it doesn't matter if you're just uncovering faith and a little unresolved and trying to figure it out. Or if you've been following Jesus for a while and you may feel a little inoculated to the story of Christmas and to who Jesus is, man, this series has been amazing just to unpack the different facets of his life, the reality that he is the purpose and where life comes together, that he is the image of the invisible God. You know, and for some people, we, we like to keep God at, at a little bit of arm's length. And because we don't want him to tell us how to do our business because we know, don't we? Like there's some areas of our life. We know how we got it figured out. We know what's going on and we don't want anybody meddling in those area, in that area of our life. But, but if we knew that God could come close, man, we recognize that there's more. There's more than we're experiencing. There's got to be more. We have a hope that there's more. And that's what we're going to unpack today. You know, possibly you got a Christmas card that had today's word on it. Maybe you, uh, maybe you sent out a Christmas card. We just sang about it, and it's that word, Emmanuel. Let me hear you say Emmanuel. Emmanuel literally means God with us. God is with us. And anytime you want to do something important, you want somebody to go with you. And there's no person better to go with you than God. And so as we see this unpacked in the birth of Jesus in his infancy, we see that it was actually predicted 750 years before he was born. It's called prophecy. So we're going to unpack a little bit of how that looks. And today's going to have a, some high application on the back that if God is with us, what, is, what are the implications for that in our lives? Sound good? Awesome. Let's grab our Bibles. We're in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter one. Now I want to tell a little bit about this guy named Matthew who wrote this particular story of Jesus. Now, Matthew, there's three things about him that we should know. Number one, Matthew was a Jew. Okay. Matthew was a Jew. He actually was from a, a priestly family. So Matthew would have memorized the first five books of the Old Testament, which is crazy to even think about. Matthew would have understood how the temple worked and how worship worked and all the prophecies in the Old Testament that foretold that Jesus was coming. So that's the, the first thing. He was a Jew. Second thing is Matthew was a tax collector. And a tax collector, as we talked about last week in those days, man, those guys were ostracized because they basically were Jews that worked for the Roman government. They worked for the enemy and they extorted money from their, from their kinsmen, from their families. And so nobody wanted to have anything to do. Matthew was a Jew. He was a tax collector. But most importantly, Matthew was an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. 
Matthew got to see everything about Jesus. Matthew got to hear him talk. Matthew got to see how he lived. Matthew got to see uh, the circumstances and how Jesus handled them. And he wrote them down for us. And the story of Emmanuel is simply this. God's got me. He's not out to get me. (laughs) Like God has got me. He's not out to get me. Because sometimes we think God's out to get me. When life doesn't go well and we'll say things like, why does God do this to me? Or why didn't God stop this? We, ha- we betray this belief that thinks, makes us think that God is out to get me. But hey, listen, God's got you. Like, I don't know where you are this morning. God's got you. He's got you in your difficulty. He's got you in your victory. He's got you in what's ha- going to happen next week and next month and next year. He has got you. That's the, that's the story that Matthew's going to teach us. So in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew is writing these things and he goes through this long genealogy of names just to prove that the Messiah was coming exactly as it had been written 800 years before. And then he gets to this particular part of the story and it may sound familiar to some of us. It says in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed or engaged to Joseph, Before they came together, she was found to be with child. She's pregnant from the Holy Spirit. God had made her pregnant. Said her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Like, don't let that skip by you. Like, that's a big deal. I, I don't think Joseph gets enough credit sometimes. Do you? Like, it feels like Mary gets all the credit. And, and, and rightly so. Mary should get a lot of credit. But, but I, I've heard people say Hail Marys. I've never heard somebody say a Hail Joseph. Have you? <laughs> like, think about the honor and the integrity and the character of this man. Is it any wonder that God decided to put his son in this family? So you have Joseph didn't want, didn't want to publicly put her to shame. But as he was considering these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And he said, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So just that little piece real quick, why this is so important. You know, so Mary was a virgin when she was born. And that, so she would have been engaged at the time. She's probably 13 or 14. Anybody got like a 13 or 14 year old daughter in the house? Anybody? Like you would get her arranged. You would have an arranged marriage for her like today. I'll be at the front after the service. Oh, we'll work it out. I'm just kidding. If you're a guest, that was a joke. Um, but in those, day, <laughs> in those days, you know, that was the way marriage worked. So they would arrange for marriage. Joseph would have been older than her. And so she's going to be a young teenager. And this marriage would have been arranged. It was this engagement period. And it was very, very long. And so what happens is Mary has to go to Joseph and say, hey, I'm pregnant. And that's probably not the funnest conversation she ever had. And you can only imagine the stress and the uh, the angst that will come along with that conversation. And so Joseph, rather than putting her away and, and letting everybody know what had happened, as was his legal right, he takes her in and just continues to care for her in the way he would have. Now, the reason why, the reason why Jesus had to be born to a virgin was so that he could be perfect. You see, we have a perfect sacrifice. And because he was born of a virgin, he did not inherit a sin nature. So Jesus never sinned. Jesus was perfect. And if Jesus had sinned, he couldn't die for our sins. He would have to die for his sins. But because Jesus is perfect, he could die for our sins. Like this is the importance of the virgin birth. Now you'll notice there is no other religion that has, makes this high of a claim. And because Matthew knows this, 
He knows how wild this could sound. He's going to remind his hearers about this prophecy from 750 years prior where a guy named Isaiah predicted that a virgin would have a child and they would call his name Jesus. So this is what he says in verse 23. Matthew says, Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son. They will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. And the reason why this prophecy was so important to Matthew was because of what I said earlier. He was a Jew. He was from the priestly family. And he was writing this letter to Jews who would come along and he wanted to prove his point. So in the book of Matthew, 15 different times, Matthew will find a prophecy in the Old Testament and show how his friend Jesus fulfilled that prophecy in his life and times. Now, there were over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled. That's a pretty high number. Like, that's pretty difficult. There was a guy who actually ran some statistical analysis on this. His name was Peter Stoner. Like, wouldn't you love that word? Fast times at Ridgemont High, remember? And so Peter Stoner was a Christian, but he was also a mathematician. And so he, he, he came up with some probabilities of how many, uh, he came up with a probability for eight prophecies being fulfilled in the life of one man. And so before I get that, let me just set the stage just to kind of get um, kind of some relevance here and understand kind of what we're talking about. The odds of you getting struck by lightning are one in 700,000, like pretty high odds, um, one in 700,000. You can throw that up on the screen. Being struck by lightning, one in 700,000, like probably not going to happen to you. The odds of you becoming president, one in 10 million, one in one in 10 million. Some people are like, how then? What? Yeah. <laughs> Whichever side you're on. The odds of a meteorite landing on your house, one in 180 trillion. Now those are big numbers. Let me get a smaller number just for relevant, relevant, relative, relative sake. The odds of you dying are one in one. Okay. So that's a little smaller number, but the odds of Jesus actually accomplishing eight prophecies Eight, only eight, not 300, eight prophecies is one in 10 with 27 zeros. That's one in one octillion. This is how massive God is. This is how perfect God is. This is the God that we serve. This is the God who created the universe. This is the God who is, wants to be with you. This is the God who's got you. It's to change how we live. And so Matthew is pointing this out from a, from a prophecy in the book of Isaiah. And I'm going to turn there in the book of Isaiah chapter 7. Now this is again 750 years before Jesus is born. Isaiah shows up in this context to give this prophecy. Now let me just paint the picture a little bit of the context where Isaiah is making this statement, this bold claim. Isaiah is living in the time, time of King Ahaz. Ahaz was wicked, y'all. I mean, he was despicable, deplorable, like anything you've ever heard about any of our leaders that you want to complain about, Ahaz was worse. He was the king of the nation of Israel, and he did some heinous things. He did not follow God. And Isaiah is like, you should trust God. You should follow God. You should focus on God. And Ahaz is like, no, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find some other ways to do this. And so Isaiah brings this prophecy so that he can prove to Ahaz and he can prove to us that God is with us. So in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Isaiah writes this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. In other words, a sign that he's real. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name 
Emmanuel, right? And in this moment, man, God's got you. And in this moment, man, a light dawned, a a ray of hope shined into the nation of Israel that there was going to come a time when God was with us, that God was going to show up to be with us, that God wasn't just going to stay out there, that he was going to come in here and God was going to come close. Man, God was going to come close to whisper in your ear. He's going to come close enough to wipe away every tear. Listen, God has got you. And Isaiah proves it and tells us about this 750 years before Jesus shows up, born to a virgin. Like, how did Isaiah know? How did Isaiah know that a, that a virgin could actually have a child? He, he trusted God. He believed in God. And he knew the God that he served. Listen, God has given us a sign. Now, now in the Bible, God shows up in some different ways. You know, there's this one story where he shows up in, you know, a pillar of fire that the, his, his people follow. But there's this one story about Moses. You guys remember Moses, everybody? Moses, so famous. He's got a movie after him, Prince of Egypt. You got that? Now, Moses was in the wilderness running from God. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Moses is running from God and God shows up. He says, I want you to go into Egypt. I want you to Tell the king to let my people go. The nation of Israel was in slavery in Egypt. Moses is like, I, I don't even know who you are. Like, you're speaking to me in a burning bush. Like, what, what is, what's this about? Who do I tell him sent me? And so they began to have this conversation. And then he asked God something amazing. It was bold. to show me your glory. And God says, I, I could show it to you, but then you die. It feels like that would defeat my purposes in the moment. He says, but here's what we'll do. You go hide between the rocks, go, and I'm going to come by, and I'm going to put my hand over the rocks, and you'll know that I went by, but I can't let you see my face. So God passes by, and Moses just kind of gets to see God as he leaves the scene. And now, can you imagine what Moses would say if he heard that God was going to be with us? This is staggering. And we can't take it for granted that God showed up to be with us, that God has got us in every situation, in the darkest times and the brightest times, that God has got us. He's not out to get us. Moses would have been astounded by this, and he would have said, hey, this is pure gift. You guys don't know what kind of gift this is. Now, now a gift always communicates how much you know about the person you're giving the gift to. It communicates whether you care for somebody. It communicates your love. It communicates how well you've been listening all year long, depending on what kind of gift you get. So husbands, if you go out today and you go to Costco and you buy a Vitamix for your wife, you know what's going to happen? She's going to call you a moron because you are. But if you go out and buy some diamonds, ladies, you should clap right there. (laughs) If you go out... and buy her some diamonds or something else that you've listened to all year, you've paid attention to all year, you know that she likes, you know that it will communicate care and concern and love, then you're going to win. And so God communicates something with this gift at Christmas. He communicates care for us. He communicates love for us. And he comes as a baby. Like, don't you know how special babies are? You know, babies can't fight back, right? Like I was recently in Charleston, my son's there and they have uh, um, our first grandchild is there. Um, I think he's their child, she's their child too, but my grandchild. And so while, while it's, it's amazing when babies just begin to smile and laugh 
And they're just, they're so unassuming. And especially if they're your grandchildren, they cry, you just give them back. Um, but there's something about what God was communicating by coming to be with us as a child. Man, he, he's communicating he's not out to get us. He's communicating that he's got us. Now, now in, in Isaiah, in this particular scene that we're in, there are four responses to this understanding that God's got us. There's four responses of our life, practical application that we should do in order to experience God being with us. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 4, Isaiah, um, I, Isaiah tells the king, the evil king Ahaz, he says this, Be careful, be quiet, don't fear, and don't faint. Be careful, be quiet, don't fear, and don't faint. Now, let me unpack these four just in our brief time together. The first one, he says, be careful. What that literally means is to keep watch. It means to pay attention. If you're careful to do something, you're, you're paying attention, you're intentional about it. And the image that we have here is of a soldier who's keeping watch over the rest of the troops at night. And if that soldier falls asleep, that soldier gets court-martialed. This is the importance with which we're to be careful. Now, we see Solomon write in a proverb, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 4. He says, guard your heart because everything you do comes from it. Guard your heart above all else, guard your heart because everything you do comes out of your heart. So we have to learn what it means to keep watch, to guard our heart. Guard our heart because it informs everything that you do. Think about it, like right now as you're processing the words that I'm saying, um, you're, you're, you're processing them out of your heart. You're processing of, of what motivates you, you're processing them based on what you think I'm saying or if it's true, or maybe you've even taken something that I've said and you've connected it to your own life, to something in the future, something that you're worrying about. The, the reason why you got up to come to church today had to do with your heart. Your heart is the one that motivated you because it's the seat of our motives, it's everything. You know, Jesus said this, that, that what comes out of the mouth actually starts where? In the heart. So the problem with our language is in our language. The problem with our language is our heart. We're not paying attention to our heart. You know, when, um, when Richard Nixon was forced out of office in Watergate, you know, Billy Graham was a friend of his. Billy Graham was a confidant of uh, eight or nine presidents. I kind of forget that number sometime, but he was in the Oval Office with Richard Nixon on multiple occasions. So when Nixon was forced out of office in shame, it, Billy Graham was being interviewed and someone asked him like, hey, what was the hardest thing about that? Like he was your friend, someone you'd been around, someone you counseled. Like what was the hardest thing about that? And Billy Graham said something that nobody expected. He said the hardest thing about it was listening to the tapes and hearing the language that he used. Because the Bible says that what comes out of the mouth starts in the heart. See, Billy Graham understood that connection between the heart and the mouth, the heart and the words. Everything we do flows from our heart. So we have to learn to guard our heart. Now, the way that we do that, there's two ramps into our heart. Number one, it's what we hear. Number two, it's what we uh, see. It's what we hear and what we see. The things we listen to and the things that we watch. The things we listen to, the things we watch. The podcast, the TV shows, the, 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 the series that we binge watch on Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu or Disney Plus or Apple Plus or you name it, right? HBO Max. We've got plenty of things to binge watch, plenty of things to look at. And it's social media. It's the things that we watch. Sometimes we don't think things affect us and they do. Sometimes we wonder why we're so irritated or angry or afraid. 
It's because of something we've been listening to or something we've been watching. So as we drove to, uh, drove to Charleston and back uh, over, the, over the weekend, my wife and I, we, we, we binge watched crime story podcasts. Anybody, any crime story podcast fans in the house? Got a few? Yeah. And so like we're binge watching crime story podcasts and we get home and um, she goes to the grocery store. And when she comes in, she said, the weirdest thing just happened to me at the grocery store. She says, I went inside and I left my doors unlocked, which you should never do. But I left my doors unlocked because it was raining. Remember yesterday afternoon it was raining? She said, I want to be able to jump in the car. And so when I came out, the alarm in my car was going off. So, huh, that's kind of odd. So she goes, up to, she goes upstairs. You know what I do? I sneak out in the garage and I look in the trunk of her car to be sure nobody got smuggled into our garage. <laughs> Why? Because I've been listening to that true crime podcast. It affected me. It affects what we think. So we have to learn to guard our heart. And we have to fill our minds with things that are positive and fruitful and faithful. And, and, and I tell you what, the hardest thing to do is to guard your heart and just remind yourself, man, that God is good and that God's got you. Like you have to remind yourself, God's got you. Because sometimes your circumstances will make you think God doesn't have me. God doesn't care about me. God's, God's leaving me alone. But the story of Christmas is that God's got you. Be careful. The next thing it says is be quiet. Let me ask you this question. Let me go back to heart for just a second. Like we don't spend a lot of time gauging our hearts. Let me just ask you on a scale of one to 10, how's your heart? Scale of one to 10, how's your heart? If you had to kind of put a number to it, like is it anxious? Is it afraid? Is it hopeful? Is it expecting the future? Is it looking forward to something or looking backward with regret? Like if you had to gauge yourself, what number would you put on it? And I think... If that number's low, what you can probably do is look at what you're watching and look at what you're listening to and see if that's informing you because negative thoughts always lead to a negative life. All right, be careful. Be quiet. That's the next one. Be quiet. This is another word, way of saying calm down. Calm down. Do you know people that their hair is always on fire? Like every time you meet them, it feels like their hair's on fire. They're just wild and panicked and crazy and full of drama. Anybody know anybody like that? Your spouse? No, just kidding. Don't raise your hand. Unless you're buying diamonds, then you can raise your hand. So we need to learn what it means to be quiet. See, what, what Isaiah is saying here is that when, when you know that God's got you, that this Emmanuel has come for you, what happens is your soul is just settled. You know, you're not afraid of the future. You're not afraid of what's going on around you. You're not afraid of your circumstances. You're not afraid of reading the news. Like, just live with this settled confidence, this calm. If you remember uh, in England, in World War II, they came up with this motivational phrase. It said, keep calm and carry on. Ironically, they never hung the posters up. That only came out in the 80s. And if for you history buffs, that's after the war was over. <laughs> but we, we see it everywhere now. Keep calm and carry on. And the way that you stay calm all depends on how you frame up what's important in your life, how you frame up what's important in your life. And when you begin to frame up what's important, you can carve out calm into your life. So think about the things that you frame up. Like you frame up what's important. In my office, I have some pages from a 1611 King James Bible. 
Now, now when, when all that was happening, man, people were being uh, executed for printing the Bible. And there's a lot of history and a lot of blood was spilt so that we could have copies of the Bible. And so when I look at those pages, I have them framed so that nothing will happen to them. So they're important. So they're a great reminder. Like some of you may have started a business. You probably framed your first dollar and put it on the wall. Or maybe you have your uh, you may have your wedding license framed or a diploma framed. We frame up what's important. And we need to do this in our lives. And we need to know that God's always in the frame. And we need to always frame. And we need to start at the beginning of the day by framing up God in our lives. Because it's going to be easy to forget, isn't it? And we should wake up every single morning and frame up God in our lives. Just to remind ourselves, hey, God's got me. God came to be with me. God proved his love for me. God's got good for me, not evil. God wants to prosper me, not harm me. God's not out to get me. We need to frame that up in our lives. Isaiah even says in Isaiah 26, he says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. So Isaiah is saying, frame it up, right? Remember it. This is what true faith is, man. When we believe God, carve out calm. You got to be quiet. Hey, what's in your frame? What's in your frame? Like, like, what is your mind focused on? What comes to mind? What are you worried about right now doing when the service is over? Or what you got to do on Wednesday or Thursday? What gift have you not bought you're concerned about? Like, what, what is, what is frame, what is your, what's in your frame where you are focused on? That'll tell you a lot about kind of the condition of your heart and whether you're really believing that God's got us. The next, the third thing he says is, you know what? Don't fear. He says, don't fear. We have to learn to fight off fear. You ever know how fear is always just around the corner? You know, the, the, the most frequent command in the Bible is do not fear. Why is that? Because we're going to be afraid. There's, we're going to be afraid. And it looks different for different people. For some, it's full-on panic attacks. For others, it's just slight worry, the pit in your stomach. It's just a s- s- small level of anxiety worry, concern. For some, it's full-blown panic. But we all have this propensity to fear. And the reason why we fear, the opposite of fear is actually faith. It's actually faith. It's not courage. It's not bravery. It's not bravado. It's faith. That's the opposite of fear. Now, now one thing about faith I want to point out, so many times we think that we have a faith and it's a system. So what I mean by that is like in our lives, we'll compartmentalize our lives. We'll have this compartment over here. This is my work compartment. This is my home compartment. Man, this is my uh, health compartment. And this is my faith compartment. And I've got, you know, a strong faith. I've got a faith or I lost my faith. And we treat it as a system. Listen, we don't have faith in a system. We don't have faith in some rules and regulations. We don't have a faith in laws or behavior. We have faith in a person. And that person is Jesus. Like that's the story of Christmas, that God actually showed up to be with us. And our faith is not in our system. Our faith is in a person who came to be with us. And when we have that kind of faith, what happens is that that helps us to fight off fear. Listen, you're going to you're gonna have to fight off fear at some point in your life. And it may be now that you're facing some fear about a health concern or a tragedy or some darkness or something that's confusing or something that you don't know what to expect. Usually we face fear when we're not in control. And this is where we learn to trust God. And we have to learn to fight off fear. In Philippians chapter 4, it says, The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And he will guard your heart and mind 
the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. The peace of God will guard your heart and mind. I got a letter from a friend just yesterday who's had a terrible year, tragic year, life-changing year. Her, her life will never be the same. This is the verse she's hanging on to. This is the verse she's expressing joy through. And she writes me that verse. The peace of God will guard your heart and mind. This is because God has got us. And the final one that Isaiah says here is, man, he's, don't, don't fear. Hey, don't faint. In other words, bring out the bold. Listen, you got to be bold. I mean, don't, don't shrink back because things look difficult. Don't shrink back because you think you may have bad news. Don't shrink back because you things aren't, think things aren't going your way. Don't shrink back because you, you don't know what's going to happen and you don't know the future. He says, be bold. Be bold, trust in God, believe that God has good for you. Believe that God has got you, is what Isaiah is saying. Listen, you have everything you need for the life that God has for you. You have everything you need for the life that God has for you. One of my favorite verses is in Psalm 112, verse 3. It says, he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Anybody here ever afraid of bad news? Do you, you ever pick up the phone, it's ringing, and think, what is wrong now they always need something or they never call me and we begin to be afraid of bad news like how awesome would it be to not ever be afraid of bad news that every phone call you got you thought I just won the lottery always looking for the good I can remember my 20s I was always afraid of bad news I, to, to such a point that I ended up with some stomach issues and all that simply because every time the phone rang I thought it's going to be it's going to be something bad. Somebody's going to need something from me. I'm going to have to go take care of somebody to do something because it was a year or two or longer of bad news. And that can jade you. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're just so used to getting bad news, you're not sure how to resist it. Don't faint. Right? Hey, bring out the bold. There's a, the disciples um, were, were, uh, were bold. And I love to talk about them. Now, now the disciples, the early disciples of Jesus they were, they were considered the riffraff of the day, right? They were kind of the outcast to a certain degree. Um, some of them uh, didn't get picked to, be in the, to go to rabbi school. And so they had gone into the family business. And one of those was Peter. Like these guys, Peter's not getting into Harvard. He's not getting into Georgia Tech. Not getting into Georgia, right? I mean, he is not going to be at the top of anybody's list, but he becomes the most bold proclaimer of the gospel that we see in the Bible. And there's over in Acts chapter 4, he gets arrested for preaching the gospel. He, he gets arrested and um, they begin to ask him and try to tell him to stop preaching the gospel and he won't do it. And he's preaching about the resurrection from the dead. And they ask him, by what power or by what name did you do this? By what power? Or by what name did you do this? Because they recognized they had this boldness. And it said in verse 13, it says, When they, meaning the religious leaders who were trying to shut him down, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men, uneducated common riffraff, is what that means. They were astonished, and they recognized that they had what? Been with Jesus. Listen, we have what we need because we have God. We have everything that we need because we have God. Listen, we should live with a next level of boldness. Man, we should not believe that bad news is around the corner. That's a lack of faith. And it doesn't mean that life's not going to be hard. We read the news. We know. And some of you don't have to read the news. 
You just read your text messages or your email. Or it's just a conversation that you're having at your house right now. You know there's difficult times. Man, but we can be bold even in the midst of difficulty. Why? Because God's got us. God will show up in your situation. He'll show up in your cancer. He'll show up in your death. He'll show up in your darkness. He'll show up in your question. He'll show up in your conflict. He'll show up in your divorce. God will show up in your um, infertility. Man, God will show up. Man, God has got you. Does it mean that you get to have your plans all the way? No, but it means you get better plans because God has got us. God has shown his way is perfect, and God has shown and proven himself to be trustworthy because God's got us. And then Matthew closes out his book with the last words of Jesus, which are extremely important. So Matthew chooses these words of Jesus to close out. He, Jesus gives the Great Commission, and then Jesus says this, Surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. His last words, the last promise we have from God himself. I am with you always. You are not alone. How do you need God to be with you in this season? You know, Christmas is the great magnifier. It magnifies the good. It also magnifies the difficult and the bad. How do you need God to be with you? You need some encouragement. You need some peace. You need some hope, some joy. That's why he came. God's got you, and he's not out to get you. Let's pray together. So just in the stillness of the moment, as we just kind of settle our hearts in for just a second, just to be quiet and calm, just where do you need God to show up for you today? You know, for some, it could be in your complacency. You know, maybe Christmas is just, uh, it's just another season. We do it every year, and we know what to do. We know how to go through the motions. We know the gifts to buy and the trees to put up and the decorations to hang. But maybe it's complacency today that you just lost that passion, that excitement, that boldness for the gospel that you used to have, that love for Jesus, just that awe and wonder that he came for you. You know, maybe it's the middle of conflict for you today. You just got this internal wrestle and you can't seem to come to grips with it and you don't know how to resolve it. You know, it could be tragedy that you're facing this season. Just tears of sadness seem to come out of nowhere. They seem to just emerge at the drop of a hat and you're not sure where they're coming from. I mean, it could be you're just, man, you just feel lost this season. No purpose, no direction. And in every case, God's got you. God thanks that you come for us. I mean, we don't have a story of a God who's way out there, but a God who's right in here, up close and personal. God, that you came as a baby. Like, who would have predicted that or guessed that or picked that? But you did because it was perfect. Thank you that we have God with us because God has got us. Thank you for the love that it expresses to us, God. Man, that you help us, you have so much care for us, so much concern for us, that you showed up. And that you're with us always to the very end of the age. God, there's never going to be a time you're not with us. You'll never leave us or forsake us. We will never be alone. We'll never be alone. And thank you for that promise today, God. 
Lord, I pray that over these next couple of weeks as we just experience Christmas, that we would frame up every single day by looking at the Jesus who came for us, the mosaic of the Savior of the universe, the creator, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the head of the body, the church. And God, that we would frame that up and it would just give us a sense of peace and a sense of calm. So, Lord, as we worship you to close out this time together, God, that you would do something in our hearts. You would set our hearts right. You would help us to guard our hearts, and you would focus our hearts more on you. God, that we'd be more in love with you than we were when we walked in. And God, our lives would show it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.